Hello everyone, and welcome to Paul and Moses Play, a celebration of games and play, and a deep dive into video games and what make them so special to us. I'm your host, Paul Berberidge, and with me, as always, is Dr. Moses Wolfenstein. Hello, Moses. Hello, Paul. We are back. We are back, and I'm, next time I'm going to see if I can get that all in one breath, and I bet I, bet I can. I know you can. You've definitely got that capacity. It's just, you know, you kind of kind of take the mental preparation and take a moment to be like, oh, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, just like a long verse in a song. Right. If you don't uh, if you don't mentally, emotionally and spiritually prepare yourself. Yeah, you're just you're just going to run out of breath. Hyper oxygenate. Something like that. Oxygenate, oxygenate. I yeah, octogenarian, hyper octogenarians. <laughs> right. Make my game for octogenarians. Here we are. Hi, summer. I mean, hi for some of you out there. Meaning summer for all of us. You're in low summer? Well, sure. No, 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 no. I'm not lit at the moment. Wait. Oh, no. I just meant calendar-wise. <laughs> I, I just had to go for it. I am. It might have been a high summer, but it was a low-hanging fruit. I am sober as a gopher as, uh, uh, oh, man. What's this? The yup, nope guy um oh man anyway. you really got me because i've definitely never heard sober as a gopher but i like it i like it it's it's got a ring to it oh it's uh cho- oh e40 uh choices by e40 i'm i'm sure you've heard it uh probably just did not ever register the lyric yeah because he's like sober as a gopher nope higher than a roller coaster yep <laughs> um but yeah which places us in high summer where Indeed. apparently it is just absolutely burning up in england where it's just not yeah. supposed to get that hot right but uh eastern hemisphere uh at the moment faring faring a little worse for the wear than we are out here yeah i mean i don't know i don't know how it's it's going there i know we got a bit of a national heat wave it's yeah. certainly warm here but it's not like crazy deadly it's more like it's fucking july right it took me a while this year, but now I kind of, I enjoy just the heat of the sun on my skin. Whereas for months here, I've been sort of not into it or avoiding it. I'm like, no, you got to just kind of. You got to dig into it. it. You know, my whole thing is as long as it's not too, too damp out. Mm-hmm. As long as, uh, you know, as long as the sweating stops somehow. Right. <laughs> Welcome to the Paul other. and Moses sweat. <laughs> uh, Dive yeah. into perspiration and. <laughs> mm-hmm. A deep dive into hydration, perspiration, and <laughs> I don't even know what's going on in this nation. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's enough of a non sequitur for, for one episode of this particular podcast. Anything hot off the presses in your game's life this week that you won't otherwise address? Yeah, a few little little delights. Um, there's this game called Stray that actually just came out today. Oh, yeah. Where you are a cat. Uh, and it's been a while. Is it since on uh, PC only? No. Okay. And uh, uh, you're a cat in this techno uh, dystopia. And I've, I'm only just beginning. There is a meow button, uh, which you can use to your heart's content, which is okay. great. Good. And the way they, they obviously took a lot of care. Like these are some cat lovers. Like yeah. the way the cat animates, it's like, this is not a cartoon cat. This is like a mo-capped cat. So, you know, which must've been a, an absolutely crazy fucking, I, I'm sure <laughs> right. we're going to see some postmortems and stuff about it. And they probably did mocap cats. And I wonder if they put those tiny little, did they put them in suits with tiny little <laughs> right. balls on them? Yep. We can only hope. Uh, exactly. Uh, so 
I knew that was coming out, and it's part of the new PlayStation Plus tiers. Aha, uh-huh, yes. Uh, and I'm like, you know, I could either spend, I assumed it would be 40, I think it's actually 30. Like, I could spend the money on that and just have that, or I could upgrade the tier, and then it's included with the mid-grade and up. Uh, and, uh, there's a lot of games that I've sort of been wanting to play a little bit. So wait a second here. Um, Are you saying that the old PS plus tier is now the bottom tier? As far as I know. Yes. I'll have to check into that. Yeah. Cause the top tier includes the back catalog. It includes like all the classic shit. I think there it's an expanded catalog, but even in the mid tier, it's opened up a lot of free games that I didn't otherwise have. Uh, okay. Uh, such as Earth Defense Force 4.1. I don't know what the point one's about. Uh, are you familiar with Earth Defense Force? Yeah, only it's been a hot minute. Yeah. But uh, yeah. It is a as video in, I didn't game. know there was a four, let alone point one. Right. It's a video game ass video game. Giant bugs, uh, ants and spiders and the like have invaded Earth and you have your squad and your, you know, your AR and your grenades and your arsenal, you know, upgrades. But it is corny as all hell. Uh, you can uh, do all these voice emotes, including okay. under the shout uh, category is the sing subcategory. And within that, there is this whole, they took the Battle Hymn of the Republic and no. switched the lyrics. Oh, God. So you sing the, the call and then all of your dudes around you, you know, these corny macho guys sing the next part and you singing back and forth. It is utterly ridiculous and shameless and like again a video game ass video game so i've I've been enjoying it nice nice most excellent yeah um yeah how about yourself well as you know but our listeners don't know i did finally kind of dip back into elden ring Mm -hmm. and uh i killed necromancer what's his name um who uh yeah i was delighted to find that there is an alternate uh, apart from the Grand Lift of Roll, the access um, up to the, the planes up there. Yeah. It's still unclear whether that is how I will actually connect the map and wrap it back around so mm-hmm. that I can kind of explore that corner of the map. If so, it would mean that you can actually get up there without ever operating the Grand Lift of Roll, that you could actually take kind of a long way around through what is undoubtedly some extremely treacherous territory. It's yet to be discovered by me. Uh, one quick call out there uh, with regard to just just a lovely bit of FromSoft game design is how in that cave uh, where I found said necromancer and, and, and slaughtered him. Um, there are actually two bosses down there. There's like uh, another path you can take that is not glaringly obvious, but it's like, Oh yeah, I can jump over there. What if I go over there and look around this corner and Oh, what's this? It's a different boss entrance to a like horrible fucking invisible boss who maybe I'll come back and try and kill later but literally is like invisible and I have no idea what to do about it because you can't target them and I'm at least at this point in time it's not like I have any AOE shit that's actually come to think of it I guess I do have a the windy AOE thing that that might I don't know but I was just like no I don't want to fight an invisible dude who's just gonna murder me so I'm just gonna go back to what I was doing finish off this necromancer felt good yeah. kill a boss who was you know reasonably but not horribly challenging and uh you know made my way back down to the redon fight where i finally figured out what the fuck was going on because i was baffled by the fact that i could not use my ashes as uh we've discussed previously alexander is dead on my playthrough so i couldn't get his help yeah so here i am thinking i got no help against this motherfucker who's just like impossible he's just really really hard if he's just focusing on you you're dead and then i realized this you know, battlefields littered with grave sites, mm-hmm. uh, and you can summon buddies. 
So I think I've got Radon uh, kind of uh, in in my sights. I don't think I need to do any more leveling up to to take him down. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but I certainly do have some deeper appreciation for that uh, that character design now that I've been seeing it a few times. So that's been uh, been delightful. Other than that, you know, some Apex, uh, some wins here and there, which is which is a good feeling in the battle royale. I've been I'd say getting more wins than uh, than in the past. So, I mean, it's still terrible, but you know. So uh, yeah, it's my my generalist update for this week uh, on on things I do not expect we will otherwise touch on in the pod. All right, very good. Well, uh, I believe that uh, brings us to our first feature. Then it is time for game ranks. And uh, what are you ranking up this week, Moses? This week I am ranking up a game called People Trapped in Books. Just kidding. It is, in fact, missed. Uh, 1993, <laughs> if I am not mistaken, um, was when this game dropped. And I remember, I'm, I'm fairly positive that I started this game. Wait, 86? Oh, wait, no, sorry. Wrong Wikipedia page. Uh, 93 for, uh, for Mac, 94 for Windows. Um, and I thought that I had uh, played it on the T- 2GS, but it must have been on the Mac. Um, because I don't think it ever received any kind of Apple II variant release. Um, I'm fairly certain I started it my senior year. Hey, you stop that. You being a cat trying to eat my microphone cable. Um, Fairly sure sure I started it my senior year of high school, uh, but finished it my freshman year of college. Um, And I mean, what a journey it was. This was a game at the time that absolutely blew my mind. I was obviously, since I was a bit older than you were when it dropped, um, the creepiness factor of it was no nowhere near as high for me. It was much more the mystery box, like, hey, this is a next level adventure game. We've discussed point and click adventure games on the pod re- previously. I've ranked a, a Sierra game. We had Grant on here talking uh, about uh, about Space Quest Four. I think it was a, a few episodes back, um, and uh, but that wasn't out yet at this point, or. Maybe it came out a few years later. This was like a titanic leap forward in terms of the quality of the graphics in an adventure game. Um, and as far as I remember, it wasn't like the it wasn't the first first person point and click game, but it was the first one that I remember being like, "Wow, okay, this this looks good. This looks like an environment that I'm actually in," which allowed for a different kind of suspension of di- disbelief from a third person adventure game. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those things are like kind of key callouts about Myst. Um, I think another Im- important factor when it comes to Myst is like the core plot that you you know nothing about at the beginning of the game until you get kind of midway into the game and you discover the books and you find like you know kind of uh, the two brothers right. and you can't really interpret what it is that they're trying to to say at first. I'm fairly certain I got the proper win condition for the game uh, on my first playthrough because it, it's not exactly um, like mysterious <laughs> that neither of these guys is trustworthy. And when you have a situation with two characters telling you, oh, no, don't do that thing over there, and neither of them seems trustworthy, it's you know usually a pretty good bet that what you need to do is that thing over there. Um, so definitely a kind of a touch of that. At the same time, I seem to remember the um, kind of I, what is relatively compared to the render on the environment. I remember the um, their faces in the books being like almost a little bit incongruous. And that was like actually slightly immersion breaking 
not in the sense of like, I want to put this game down. I wasn't really coming from the level of how we thought about immersion in video games without that term, obviously for, you know, as, as adolescents. Um, It's not like, um, you know, it's not like I was thinking like, uh, oh man, it's like being there in any kind of um, sense that it's more like getting lost in the game. Uh, but it was one of those moments of like, it, it seemed a little incongruous. Uh, so even though, yeah, they did amazing things with, with HyperCard, um, they did bump up against the limitations of trying to do something that was really kind of next level. Um, I just remember the puzzles being difficult, but solvable, even though it took like multiple months to finally finish the game. Um, and the ending is like pretty fucking raw, actually. Um where, and I mean, yeah, this game is old enough that I just don't feel like there's any problem with spoilers. Um, if you follow through on the kind of proper ending, which is uh, releasing the father from the book that he's trapped in, then you find that the two books where the two sons are are just scorch marks, which it's yeah. like, holy shit. It's creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intense. It's pretty intense. Um, so yeah, missed coming in for me uh, at rank 57 after Golden Axe. Um, and uh man i what a game it definitely held down a really important place in in the progression of games and the creation of of game worlds that were telling stories that were you know a game that was trying to tell kind of a much more heavy or serious story than uh than a lot of games were uh capable of doing at the time or game designers were interested in doing at the time yeah yeah good one man um yeah as discussed a couple of times on the pod uh yeah this game had quite an impact on my my psyche. It scared the shit out of me in various yeah. parts. And even the things that weren't overtly scary uh, haunted me. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but in the very beginning of the game, uh, if you're looking off sort of above the horizon where the, the sea is, you see yeah. it's like uh, up in the sky, all of a sudden you see a man, a person falling. And just as you fell into this world and you watch them falling and falling, and then gradually they turn into a seagull and then they're a seagull and they just flap away. And like seeing that really scared me too. Just this falling body. That's crazy. I don't remember that moment at all. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. But um, I can definitely see how that would have an impact on a young mind. Yeah. And then do you remember, did you take any notes, any like handwritten notes for the game? I don't think so. I actually think that... Um, I think we did in my dorm room. I'm pretty sure that we did this. Like I might've been primarily playing the game, but I, I think we did like uh, kind of, if not pass and play kind of like, um, you know, one person's driving, but other, you know, one or more other people might be uh, kind of watching and making suggestions. I don't remember us taking handwritten notes in order to beat this game. I think that we actually just kind of bowled our way through it with sharper memories than, than I have now. Yeah. So I remember Luke, uh, older brother Luke, had to take notes for there's like an underground train sequence with all these. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Paths. And I remember he drew out this like on graph paper, like graphed out all the routes and stuff. It's not impossible that I might have written down some notes or that uh, one of my friends might have. But uh, I don't have a distinct memory of doing that for this game. But it was a super common practice coming off of text adventures, especially, mm-hmm. you know, that was like definitely a thing that you did with a text adventure you just want to have a pad of paper out 
And then did you play like Riven or Uru or any of the, uh, the you know, I never did actually, uh, partially it's a question of when I had my laps in gaming and then I wanted to play Uru was missed live online. Right. I'm not sure one of them. Yeah. One of, one them, of them was, and I wanted to, but like the timing of when that finally released out of like closed beta, I was like, no, I don't have the bandwidth for anything probably other than wow. At that point in time, I was, or, or at the very least I was probably like, I don't have the bandwidth for another MMO. It's probably playing other things, but um, but yeah, and it had it had some straight up sequels as well. And I mean, I'd be curious to go uh, browse around and see if people recommend any of them uh, as far as um, you know playable in their in their current state. So yeah, uh, cool. Uh, well, for me this week, uh, coming in at fifty eight, is Om Jammerlandy on the PlayStation. Uh, I believe this was the first rhythm game I'd ever played. Okay. And it was it was a joy. Uh, it was extremely uh, challenging because I just wasn't used to those sorts of timed inputs, reading the screen correctly. Now it's dead simple. You look back, it's like one button at a time. It's like, you come on, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Wonderful art style. Uh, you know, it's from the same team that did Parappa the Rapper. And I believe he makes a cameo or, or there are elements of that game in, in Umjammer. But um, which one came first? Uh, I believe Parappa. Parappa came first. Because I've never played Umjammer, but I definitely have played Parappa. Yeah. Uh, you were this, I guess she's a lamb and she has a band and, you know, they play around town um, through various uh, scenarios. Like there's a, caterpillar with a bunch of babies that it's babysitting and you have to calm them down and uh you know put out a fire land a plane things like that and you know looking back to that era of gaming like so much of it still felt new and when you would get a very japanese feeling game like it just it really was pleasant for me like mm. i really enjoyed the otherness of it and the creativity yeah. and the zaniness um and this one filled all those, you know, in, in spades. What year was it? Because that, what you just said evokes a very specific era of gaming to me. I'm kind yeah. of curious. I want to say like 97, but. Let's... Yeah, see, that seems, that seems right. Because it really is like mid 90s gaming. Yeah. Okay. So this was actually came out in Japan in 99. Okay. So right, gotcha. on, uh, right on the edge of. Of that, uh, yeah, it came out in uh, in the U.S. in August of '99 as well. Okay, I uh, see they had that, that uh, kind of queued up release by that point that was not so characteristic of uh, you know earlier earlier years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so one of those games that's that's quite a few years uh, in the past for me. I haven't, you know, I believe I still own it. Um, my old disc you know I, I've, it's been a long time since i've had a playstation but i did keep a few games and um jammer lamy is one of them i just couldn't bear to part with it sure um so one of these days I'll, i'm sure i'll get to fire that up again but uh yeah i have distinct memories of like cranking the volume on the tv especially for the the finale and like mom getting mad because it, you know it was it was loud and like <laughs> uh, excellent excellent i feel like as a kid this is one of the ways that you know you've succeeded yeah but yeah, uh, a special game for me. And so it is number 58. Most excellent. 58. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Making some waves. Yep. Um, 
So this brings us, we now have our top 60 games of all time. Moses, can you believe it? I, I mean, I guess I can because I'm looking at it. So, yeah. <laughs> well, do you um, want to do a quick countdown or count up? I, I enjoy the, the listing of the ranks. Uh, I thought since we do have sort of a toehold in the World Wide Web now with our Twitter account, um, it might make sense to post the list every 10 games uh, okay. instead of us reciting it. Uh, you know, don't want to like take up too much time, especially the games that we've already read, you know, five times now at this point. Right. Um, but I figure we can we can give it one last uh, little send off here and then, uh, you know, people can refer to the. When we get to 100, we're going to have to do a like, yes, go as quickly as you can count it up thing. Yeah. Um, but for now, uh, we will uh, count down uh, alternating uh, either of our top 60 games of all time, starting with me. And number 60 is Rhythm Heaven. Dexter. Devil May Cry. Minesweeper. Umjammer Lammy. Carcassonne. iOS. Banjo-Kazooie. Mist. Metal Gear Solid V. Golden Axe. Pilot Wings 64. Time Splitters 2. WarioWare Mega Microgames. The original Metroid. Chrono Cross. Below the Root. Tomodachi Life. Electroplankton. Mario Party 2. Eco the Dolphin. Donkey Kong Country. The Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass. GoldenEye 007. King's Quest 4 Perils of Rosella. Sports Friends. Defense Grid. Journey. Excite Bike. Death Stranding, Tekken 3, Castle Crashers, Journey, Ancient Domains of Mystery, Braid, Mario Paint, Sim City, Mario Kart 64, Elite Beat Agents, Mischief Makers, Rock Band, Bloodborne, GoldenEye 007, for those of you losing track, this is 40, uh, Little King's Story, Limbo, The Binding of Isaac, Tony Hawk 3, Zelda Wind Waker. A Dark Room. Disco Elysium. Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Sonic CD. Nidhogg. Super Smash Brothers Melee. Robot Odyssey. Metal Gear Solid 2. Trials HD. Gunstar Heroes. Super Meat Boy. World of Warcraft. Killer Queen. And my number 30 is Half-Life 2. Uh, Jackbox Party Pack 3. Half-Life, Borderlands, Sky Odyssey, Dawn of War, Minecraft, Populous, ToeJam & Earl, GTA Vice City, Shadow of the Colossus, Prince of Persia, Resident Evil 4. Yo oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Johann Sebastian Joust, uh, Grand Theft Auto 3, Minecraft, Harvest Moon Back to Nature, Beyond Good and Evil, Outer Wilds, Mass Effect 2, my number 20, Super Mario RPG, and Super Mario All-Stars Battle Game for me, Bit Trip Beat, Super Smash Brothers Melee, Sonic 2, Ocarina of Time, Dark Souls 3, Half-Life 2, Animal Crossing, Joust, Rez, Castle Crashers, Super Mario World, Rocket League, FTL, Faster Than Light. Warlords. Sonic the Hedgehog. Might and Magic, Clash of Heroes. Metal Gear Solid. Team Fortress 2. My 10th favorite game, Eco. 
Mine is World of Warcraft. Final Fantasy X. SSX Tricky. Super Mario All-Stars. Apex Legends. Link's Awakening. Spelunky. Dark Souls. Kana Bridge of Spirits. Super Mario Kart. We Love Katamari. Mario 64. Portal. Number three for me is Final Fantasy IX. And number three for me is Nintendo Ice Hockey. Number two, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And for me, that would be Tetris Effect. My favorite game of all time is Chrono Trigger. And still standing is my favorite of all time, Dark Souls. Man, I feel like got to rank res sometime soon. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anything that popped out for you as we were going through of the like unranked, but that one in particular, I was like, I keep thinking about that game. Yeah, I haven't beat it because it's like hard as balls and I borrowed it from you, but I never, never like owned it long term. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it is so well deserving of getting in on these ranks at some point for me, though, because it's just such a a defining game in that in that rhythm game genre no doubt yeah so uh yeah i mean we'll take a break from our uh, comprehensive list countdowns uh but uh posting them for your consumption online if you ever want to check in on where our ranks are at yep and you know catch us in about 40 episodes or so uh for well even less than 40 episodes maybe for our our hundredth game countdown special <laughs> exactly it's just going to be the entire episode we're just going to you know I, I figured we could go two ways on this we could either like try and recite our names really fast or you know Dawn... no 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 <laughs> or maybe it maybe we're forced to say a one paragraph about each the other person's each game I, or, or, or maybe we actually just both go at the same time yeah yeah by by neural audio get get a one so many things. possibilities there's yeah. so many so many potentials here you know we could even write a song about it cool now we're talking write a song do a rap mr guest all the best we're gonna bring it all back we're yeah. gonna bring it all back uh great well for now though we will move ahead to the next feature and the next feature of the show is something we call what i love about And Moses, uh, you got anything for us this week? You know, Paul, what I love about Apex players is when they choose like Octane or Wraith and then they like call a hot drop and then they die immediately and then they quit. I'm just kidding. I don't love that at all. But you know what? (laughs) For that Octane yesterday who, uh, you know, died after the hot drop and fragment with me in the Mirage, we went on to win that game with two. Mm. So just so you know, people out there playing cooperative games with other people, we all love it when we actually stick it out and try and cooperate and give it our best shot. So yeah, no, not a, not a true use of this segment for its true purpose today, but uh, you know, yeah, no, I do love playing games with other people. So that's good. Nice. Uh, And like you would have rezzed this, this person. Of course. Yeah. Of course. You know, I, I think I actually went up and picked up their darn banner card mm-hmm. and like, well, apparently I took too long for them. So they quit. I'm like, yeah, we're the two of us who are left alive are obviously playing it smart. And you can tell, you can tell. And like the UI does a great job of communicating to you when it is time to just give up because your, your, uh, you know, teammates have decided to give up on you. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like, you know, there's the game literally has one of those load messages that reminds you to do this. Like, yeah. You know, but hey, you can't change certain parts of, of player culture in certain communities uh, or certain segments thereof. Um, so instead, it just leaves it like wide open on uh, on the social media for people to target 
uh, players who tend to select those characters and be most guilty of uh, of doing that rage quitting. So, hey, good times. Right, right. Uh, I mean, come yeah. on. I, have I ever rage quit? Of, of course, there's been an instance or two when uh, when this has happened. I'm, uh, you know, I am just as human as, as as everybody else. But like, you know, that's when you're tilting super hard. That should not be your default state as a human being. If it is like wow you've got to find a way to de-stress and apparently it's not video games <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh yeah those sorts of games have never never been yeah de-stressors for me fun as hell like i'm just thinking back to my modern warfare two days Absolutely. nothing like calling in a chopper and just mowing down a bunch of a bunch of people but uh it's a long road to get there sometimes indeed well paul what about you got any love for us this week yeah, actually, speaking of roads, uh, what I love about uh, this very lightweight and cute game called Freeways is the fact that there is no undo button. Okay. Um, Freeways is, I think it's $3 or something on Steam, and you draw out these uh, little uh, freeways to connect, uh, you know, the other access points or connect houses to them. So you're making clover interchanges and overpasses, underpasses. Oh, like and it. then you simulate uh, the flow of traffic. Um, you can completely wipe an entire area and start over. But if you make a little, because it's somewhat crude on purpose. So if you make a little mistake, uh, you just got to live with it. And so you see your cars, you know, squirming their way through. And nice. I think it adds a lot of charm to the game uh, and, you know, gives you an opportunity. Okay, now I actually want to get this perfect. So maybe I'll restart now that I know what the ideal sort of interchange is here. Sure. Um, and the other cool thing is you have each individual level, but then uh, the game keeps zooming out and they're all interconnected. So you have this okay. really busy thing here and then over here, but every single car is simulated on that road and, you know, making its way all the way through. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend uh, Freeways to anyone out there who likes the, the mini Metro mini motorways kind of kind of say definitely got the mini mini metro vibe going on I, I this is such a fundamentally american game it is all about the love of cars and mm -hmm. creating you know highways far in excess of what transportation meet, needs might actually be and living with your mistakes and being fucking proud of those mistakes right. nothing more american than claiming a mistake and being fucking proud of it instead of accepting that you fucked up so i like it i like it exactly. i feel like it's really hitting the ethos it definitely is uh so yeah, that is uh, short and sweet for me, what I love about this week. Right on. Uh, we will then move to the next section or segment of the show, if you will. It's time for Tell Me About. And Moses, uh, maybe another short and sweet one here. We shall see. Uh, Moses, I'd love it if you could tell me about what's your favorite button? What's my favorite button? Yeah. Like, um... Do you mean uh, on the UI side uh, or do you mean like the physical, physical button on like a controller? I, those are both UI. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you mean like, uh, you know, virtual or physical button? I'm talking physical button. Uh, okay. This can purely be a mechanical thing or it can be tied into whatever intrinsic quality pushing that button might, might have. Might have in a, uh, in a specific kind of game setting. Wow. So I think this is a tough one. This is actually a very, uh, this is a very tricky question because, you know, needless to say, 
um, like the buttons that I spend by far and away the most time with are, are the, the PlayStation, um, you know, magic charms, mm-hmm. um, spend plenty of time, uh, mashing those buttons for various, various purposes, not to mention, you know, the trigger and bumper. Um, and, and while they are certainly, I, there's, there's good ergonomic design and I'm sure when I get around to upgrading my console, I will find even better ergonomic design, uh, that has kind of surfaced to, uh, to take its place. Um, I'm not sure that there is anything that really is going to kind of specifically hit the sweet mark with regard to that particular piece of of physical engineering. And when you ask me what's my favorite button, uh, I really do want to kind of take it in that direction of like the actual physical experience of pressing the button combined with the effect that it has in game. Um, And so going to uh, my ranked games, I think it is Killer Queen. Mm. I think that the jump slash flap button mm-hmm. in Killer Queen, which is very much like a more responsive version of the flap button in Joust, mm-hmm. um, it feels really good to smack that thing. Yeah. <laughs> to put it quite simply, it's very responsive. It can take some serious abuse, um, but you can hammer on it. You can really like, it, it doesn't give you too much lift if you are the queen or have, uh, you know, elevated yourself as a knight, um, as a, as a regular, regular worker bear. Um, and like, it's just got a really good feel where like when you're, you're getting the rhythm, right, it's good. It gives you just the right amount of lift, not too much, not too little. It makes you work for it. Um, and it's just got that quality, that buttony quality where you press it, uh, and it, you know, it pops back up. Mm-hmm. These are things I want out of a button. So, uh, you know, I'm going to go with the Killer Queen jump slash flap button uh, as far as my favorite button um, in video games specifically. Uh, I'm not sure if I have a favorite button. I have a least favorite button in my car right now. It's the emergency brake, and only, it's only because it doesn't always register. But that's a uh, software issue. Right. I have no idea what's going on with the sensor there. <laughs> it wouldn't be a problem at all because it's like the brake engages, but my car is like... I would not like to turn off because I think you haven't turned on the parking brake. And I'm like, no car, I've turned on the parking brake and I'm going to have, I'm going to have to turn you back on and back off again. Anyway, that's my least favorite button in life so at the moment. Your, your car requires that you put the e-brake on for parking. Yeah, basically. Um, huh. It wants the car to be in park. It wants the e-brake on or otherwise it'll ding at me after I've turned it off. Yeah. I think if I just walk away, it'll probably stop doing it eventually, but it's just not a good feeling. Right, to leave a beeping car. Uh, yeah, interesting. Here on Paul and Moses Drive, right. today we're talking about <laughs> the problems with the 2019 Volt and why it doesn't seem to want to turn off. Um, yeah, yeah, but no, I'm going to definitely have to go back to that Killer Queen, that flat button. That's a good one. That's a good one. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this matter? Oh, as far as for, for myself? Yeah, I got a favorite um, button. It's, it's kind of a toss-up. Uh, I think... I think I'd have to give it to the start button on a Super Nintendo Ooh. controller. Yeah. That's when, you know, a game often would require you to actually push start, not, not any button. Right. And who knows what fun is on in store for you uh, if you're sitting there pushing start, you know, like that. Um, I mean, I do really like hitting the X button when uh, Elden Ring is booting up. So I think uh, just as a through line there, there's something magic about a start button in general. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's a good call. And that one, that one is particularly laden with, uh, with memories. So yeah, it's got a great tactile feel, great, mm-hmm. you know, that slightly slanted uh, kind of positioning that they're in. Um, yeah. And the SNES controller is just a good controller. It's a yeah. good piece of hardware. For some reason, this question made me think about a button I don't particularly like, which is the classic craft joystick, red and black buttons, mm-hmm. um, which causes a lot of like pain and, and anger. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than uh but i mean you know but also enabled a lot of great experiences so for sure buttons i love it well paul you said the magic word uh in relation the 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 question i have for you today um it's a two-parter uh the first part is uh the word fun that you used mere minutes ago on this podcast tell me about what fun uh how what does fun mean to you how do you how do you define fun Hmm. I think fun is uh, when you can look over at at the other person and you both know that you are submitting yourselves to the constraints of the rules and in the spirit of not winning, but in engaging with the mechanics to to the fullest, whether it's uh, you know a card game, a video game. Well, you've gone game specific um, on this. Do you want to broaden that out to encompass other life experiences? Because I have a follow-up question. Sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> fun, yeah. Um, I think it's it's freedom, uh, and and freedom that that has its own reward, or even uh, a, an added like specific reward that you're going for. But you know, it's the freedom to you know knock over over to the park for a little bit with with the frisbee it's sort of that uh you know and that's sort of the anticipatory part of it and obviously once sure. you're actually doing it it's it's fun as well but um it's almost in that 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 twilight of the activity itself where you are both agreeing to this thing these rules whatever it is whether it's just throw and catch are are what we're aiming for here um and I love you how can, you've broken this out a little bit because you've mentioned the anticipatory part and the twilight aspect in terms mm-hmm. of like, how does it, where, where do we anchor the emotional aspect to? It's not just a, a moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess to take it back to, to the Frisbee, like some of the most fun I've had has been, you know, up in Door County uh, at Peninsula State Park in the big open field at the campground, uh, you know, a beer in one hand, a Frisbee in the other. Uh, just tucking that thing, uh, you know, for for an hour straight uh, with you, sure. with John, you know, whoever. Um, but yeah, I think that that that's what I'd say for for part one. So yeah, obviously, part two is going to lead us into games. So, how important is fun in your gaming experiences? Video games, obviously, because yeah. uh, I, I I think it would would for me this would be a very different question if I were asking about analog games, um, mm-hmm. especially board games or athletic games for that matter. Yeah, and I think the answer is is similar regardless for me because I'm I have good boundaries and I'm also somewhat selfish with my time. Sure. And those two things combined lead me to have a short uh, attention span or level of interest if I'm not having fun uh, and not pre not judging anyone for anything they want to do or anything, but trying to avoid situations where I know I'm going to be locked into something that that isn't fun. Uh, certainly you can go out of your way for someone else uh, and do the thing they, they, they want. Um, but for me, it's like, it's, it's tantamount. Um, you know, if I am having fun, 
it kind of doesn't matter what it is. Um, like it, I think to the Sekiro, the boss of Sekiro and how long that took, you know, I took uh, over a year off because it stopped being fun going to fight that guy again. Um, but by the time I was approaching the time when I actually was able to beat it, every single time I fought him, it was fun. And I looked forward to it and just running, pacing alongside him, deflecting the attacks, like reading his moves, um, no matter how many dozens of times I would fail, the main reason I kept coming back is because it was inherently fun uh, each each time. So um, a lot of people don't believe me when I say this. Uh, I know you will because you know me, but like winning does not matter that much. Like, yeah, I will. I will play the game to the fullest. Put me in like a ultimate werewolf kind of thing. And I'm usually the one doing the most talking, which normally gets you killed regardless of if you're good or bad because it's more fun to play the game by like presenting a character right right With and the ultimate werewolf or regular werewolf for right that matter, right and you're you're risking more you're drawing attention to yourself but uh you know is it the smarter play to sit there quietly like maybe for a few rounds anyway but uh i i want to fully engage i enjoy top to bottom the the aspect of of play winning is fun um but i don't really think about it much when i'm you know, actually playing. You would rather achieve the solving than no, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, this is interesting because um, you're driving to something that uh, is kind of at the heart of, uh, of of my line of inquiry here, what I wanted you to tell me about and what we're kind of getting into. Um, I'm glad that you brought Sekiro up because it's a, it's a really good example of something that from the outside might not look like fun. Mm -hmm. um, and you can, in fact, at least in moments, lose the feeling of fun uh, in uh, in a hard boss fight. Obviously, FromSoft being not uh, the only uh, dev that that makes such fights that can be extremely difficult. Um, mm -hmm. Do you, you know, so do you broadly still char characterize all of that as fun? I think so. Um, there have been times when it has felt more like a chore. Um, you know, this is embarrassing but thinking back uh, you know I was I was a kid and uh, had Super Mario World and I spent many hours trying to get each and every hidden exit from all the levels which eventually becomes extremely challenging and I wasn't necessarily enjoying it but like I had done it before years before that even and I wanted to do it again and finally got all of them done and then my uh, little cousin came over and he wanted to play it and he wrote over my save file oh no uh, and i was oh, god very pissed and very sad and i was complaining to my mom and and i specifically remember saying like no mom you don't understand like because i'm trying to like sway her sympathy I'm like right this wasn't fun it was work okay doing all this getting all the exits it was work and then she was like well if it's work then why are you doing it like it should be you know this is a play activity and i was like I was like, shit, <laughs> you know, like I couldn't admit it at the time. Yeah. But I was like, yeah, that's true. And what a lame thing to say, like, oh, this. And sure. I mean, it's annoying to have your, your file overwritten. Right. But like, um, I think I was barking up, barking up the wrong tree there. <laughs> uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of ink spilled, mostly digital ink spilled by, um, you know, by by game theorists, uh, as in video games and play theorists on this topic. 
And your response makes me think specifically of Nicole Lazaro's um, four types of fun, which I think is actually kind of a useful, a useful frame uh, if you're going to use the word fun in the broad way that you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, when I've taught game design, I actually tell uh, students I don't want to hear fun. It is the, for, for me, the F word of game design mm-hmm. um, because it's so subjective. Um, and yet there have been these multiple attempts made to, to kind of operationalize it. Um, and what Lazaro does is she talks about hard fun, easy fun, serious fun, and people fun as, as different kinds of fun. And um, she has terms. Uh, yeah, Fiero is hard fun. People fun is uh, what? Amusement. Easy fun is curiosity. Serious fun is excitement. Hmm. Um, and uh, I think it's no accident that she uses Fiero for hard fun. Uh, the only one that is not a uh, kind of a standard piece of vernacular that can be easily extended by just reading the word and going like, oh, I, I think I know what that means. Um, exactly because that type of enjoyment that we have with hard boss fights in games, it doesn't fit so easily in terms of how people talk about fun more casually. Mm-hmm. And um, But it is something that's persistent in games and it's a part of games that really does get into that hazy place between play and work. Mm-hmm. It like often can. And so, I mean, I would say um, to uh, childhood you and your conversation with Julie that you weren't necessarily, you might've been barking up the wrong tree argumentatively. Uh, and you certainly didn't have the breadth of the discourse to support the case that you were making, but you yeah. weren't wrong. Yeah. Um, there, there, uh, there's some, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on, it's not plateductivity. It's some other horrible horrible like spoonerism type you know collision of words um elision of words that that gets to this and you know i probably should have prepped myself on that because it was bound to come up given the given the question i had for you uh but but there is this really weird space that games can take us to and i mean weird in the best sense um where it forces us to kind of collapse some of our our normal boundaries um of like well this would not be fun under any other circumstance Mm-hmm. And yet here we are in a framework of play. And so it becomes a kind of fun if you want to use that term. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, like a crossword puzzle comes to mind. Like it might be hard cognitive work to solve it, but uh, it certainly is uh, a form of play. And, uh, you know, but still has this sort of strenuous uh, thing. But then you can look at it uh, with with pride and this word was not a word I was familiar with. I don't know, is it just straight up Italian or, or is it borrowed for English as well? I've never heard it in English prior to, uh, to Nicole's use of it with, with her framework. Okay. So I'm assuming she just grabbed it from Italian cause she went, you know what? I don't have a good English word for this. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna reach into Italian for this one. So yeah, I've got feeling pleasure or satisfaction at one's achievements, possessions, connections, etc. cetera. Uh, is the English Italian English dictionary that I found there, uh, and yeah, I, I I like I like those four uh, quadrants there that you that you outlined. But I was like, let me just throw this at you and see which direction you go, and you know, it'll probably evoke something for me. Um, you know, certainly on the on the researchy side of it, I mean, there's a lot of different folks whose work is adjacent to what you just said, and personally, I find always find that tremendously satisfying because you are. Uh, you know, as an intellectual of playing games, but uh, but not an academically trained one. It's just cool to me to engage these discourses with you, where, of course, you're going to arrive at some of uh, of these things organically 
-hmm. because it's not an accident and you don't need a PhD or have taken a bunch of graduate classes in order to, to think through these things. You just need to uh, have that, that breadth of experience and be willing to intellectualize it a little bit. And, and that is, in fact, for me, its own kind of fun. <laughs> right. That's, as I witnessed the fun of a cat on your lap. And uh, it is a different kind of fun. It's more fun for him face. than it is for me. Like, yeah, I, how much fun is it to have a tail on your face? That's, uh, I don't know. I got to witness a cat trying to stick his face into your mouth earlier. It's a different kind of fun as well. Definitely fun for them. <laughs> right. Um, cool. Good stuff, man. I like, I like the, that line of, of inquiry. Uh, anytime we can, you know, uh, sort of rub up against uh, the more academic leanings, I always find uh, to be fascinating. Yeah, I've just been thinking about how it's just a good idea to insert that into the podcast periodically anyway. I think GLS probably brought that to the front of mind. Mm -hmm. uh, cool. Well, front of us is the final feature of the show can only mean one thing it's time for make my game coming right. this week who do we have and what do we have we have honest bandicoot interactive okay with <laughs> their game forgotten freedom uh forgotten freedom in our jingoistic uh, American landscape, uh, you know, I do recoil at at this combination of words, but I'm trying to sort of push push beyond that. Uh, like, what would it be? Uh, what would it be to forget freedom? It sounds sounds uh, depressing. Um, it, it sounds extremely depressing. Um, although, I mean, I suppose theoretically it could be redemptive. Right. Uh, um, so what, do you, what do you say? Should we, should we go with this or should we roll the dice? Let's roll the dice. I'm going to use my veto. All right. Up next is Dreadheart. All one word. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Talk about going to the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have a few just sort of prickling in, intuitive uh, tendrils. I can take Dreadheart if you if you don't want to veto it. I'm I'm totally uh, I'm I'm fine with going down the Dreadheart route. Um, sort of well worn territory in in pop culture and gaming, but uh, uh, you know, being undead pirates. But oh, okay, pirate. Yeah, okay. That is what I what I see with uh, with Dreadheart. I see sort of a a uh, uh, almost a Monkey Island. Uh, pixelated image of of this undead pirate um it doesn't have to be an adventure game or, or even pixel art but that was my first first thought and then like why is he named dreadheart uh is sort of the first question that i was looking to answer so i really like um let's get away from necessarily being uh, adventure game uh, I, I think action adventure would be would be a great fit for dreadheart actually mm -hmm. um I love the idea that you are playing Dreadheart. So the titular character seems like they're the baddie, mm -hmm. but they're definitely not, right? They're definitely not. I, I don't know if it's a question of misunderstood or if it's a question of um, simply like sometimes it takes a, a, a badass to deal with a bad situation. Mm -hmm. um, I may be leaning in, the, in that direction. Um, and some degree of heavy armor even though that you know does not does not uh, naturally occur with the idea of the pirate, but I think that that could actually lend itself 
from a uh, from a puzzle design standpoint to some some pretty fun situations even if it might get extremely frustrating to um plummet to your doom and, and die a lot it's nothing that uh hasn't been thoroughly explored as a viable viable option that still has uh, a lot of enjoyability in it so i'm i'm envisioning our, our titular dreadheart being a kind of uh you know heavily armored pirate type yeah i i can i can i can dig that i see like sort of a, a conquistador style uh, breastplate uh you know maybe the uh maybe they're all stolen and it could even be like a a a patchwork array i actually kind of like that a patchwork array of armor of different different armor um and then this doesn't quite line up with with physics but maybe uh we can tweak the fiction to allow it to but what if part of your overall goal is to acquire these pieces of armor so that you can sink further down when you disembark your ship uh down further and further uh, uh for who knows who knows what i mean treasure ostensibly but maybe other other things. I like it. What if this is the mid-game flip that happens physics-wise? So in the first half of the game, uh, based off of your armor and tool kit and such, um, you know, you are trying to avoid falling and you need to manage how heavy your character is to avoid perilous drops. Mm -hmm. um, and when you so say you drops, like some... are, are you saying drops in like off a jungle cliff or are you talking into the ocean or? Both of the above. You can, you can, you can drown in, in early game. Okay. Um, but then part of the mid game flip of it is that you're trying to actually get your armor heavier because you are now doing more underwater shit where we have breathing apparatus or even underwater breathing ability, maybe in late game, mm -hmm. um, that, uh, that allows you to go deeper and deeper to where you need to ultimately, uh, confront. Um, we're not quite sure what the big bad is yet. We haven't gotten that far. Yeah. Uh, but, but I'm liking this as an idea of, um, essentially, could be a this actually could be a 2D platformer now that I think about it. it might be really nice as a 2D platformer. Yeah. Uh yeah, I, I can see that working. Um now in my mind this entire time you are also undead. Is that jiving with Yeah, I think that's fine. We just need some kind of conceit for why it is problematic to um to fall. Maybe there's just no way out uh, yeah. of early level areas or or if there is, you have to. It could just come down to level design. Yeah, you don't drown, but from a level design standpoint, um, you have uh, you know pits that are functionally just traps, mm -hmm. as far as the player goes. No, so if you're going to drop down into it, it's going to reset you, or pits that are going to force you to traverse backwards um, mm -hmm. to to a point, so that you have to you know kind of re-attempt your same traverse across that area to get where you're going. And then I'm I'm also picturing uh, a, a more of a seafaring part of the game as well where you start off with a small ship Absolutely. Uh, dare we say a skeleton crew uh no we, <laughs> you're not um but as you uh slaughter the enemy presumably living uh enemies uh you can then resurrect their crewmen and they will become uh yours and then i was originally picturing uh you know third person 3d but i like the the 2d now because i'm picturing like a ship to ship battle uh where it's just dozens of your skeleton guys like swinging across yeah. the other ship you know with their own ai going and then you step on and do your your badass stuff you know it might be interesting to take a fez-esque approach on the ship to ship combat um i don't know hmm. like rotating the camera like maybe around. you can do some camera rotation yeah so you can rotate into um 
you know, it, it's not going to be the same. I, I don't mean it Fez-esque in the sense of like the, the gimmick aspect of Fez of discovery, but rather that you want to, you know, you might be uh, doing a um, bow angle um, view, mm-hmm. bow and, and stern angle view um, for like firing cannons at the other ship um and or like for sending uh you know directing your guys to go over or going over yourself but then when you're in combat on the other ship or defending your own ship um then it's going to go to a port or starboard perspective uh where you can have some more kind of you know back and forth and more room to maneuver around type action yeah uh i I had another thought as well um what if in parallel to you bulking up your armor to be heavier and explore deeper so let's just say the sea is corrupted and it, the water gets thicker as you uh, as you go down. Um, yeah, I'm going to actually double back on your um, living opponents. Uh, instead, let's go with necromancers that you need to slay. So you're reclaiming skeletal crews for your own. Yeah, I dig that. Uh, and then as you get more and more of the skeletal crew, your ship itself gets heavier. And okay. then your ship can go lower and almost not quite a submarine because you don't have to worry about breathing. And you're right. navigating these deeper and deeper parts of the ocean. Once you get like 600 skeletons on board, you're heavy enough to go to go get back. down to where you yeah. need to get down to the to the very depths to so that you can. Yeah, and I think on this whole corruption um, theme, I maybe Endgame here really is about ending your your own tortured misery as mm-hmm. as an undead, along with all of the others, so that the the world can return to its its cycle of life. I don't know. Yeah. I, I dig that, you know, definitely Pirates of the Caribbean uh, style storytelling here, but I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's okay. We haven't that's okay. delved into piracy too often. No, I am definitely, definitely envisioning a skeletal parrot though. Yeah. Like in your, in your early crew, you have like maybe like your skeleton parrot and like one other dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I dig it. Any, uh, any other, uh, uh, little details or, or embellishments come into your mind? I mean, nothing really. My my ringing phone just makes me think that you can be interrupted by scam callers at any time. But <laughs> uh, I don't think that's a mechanic we want for this game. Although we got to shelve that one for some potential future dystopian <laughs> concept that we <laughs> right. might be working on. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm actually really liking Dreadheart. Uh, it, it's definitely, you know... Uh, the less generic, uh, far less generic direction that we could go. Sure, we've got some well-trod territory in a, in a one corner of pop culture that we're adjacent to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mechanically, I feel like we're invoking a bunch of really interesting different kind of elements between your island hopping, your island exploration, and your increasing underwater and undersea exploration and navigation, mm-hmm. uh, different types of combat. I, I'm slightly concerned that we might have a, a few too many layers here, but you know what? That's that's to figure out in development. Right. That's for Honest Bandicoot Interactive. Uh, that, that, that'll be their job uh, as they bring us Dreadheart. And uh, up next is the part of the show that brings Dread to our hearts. It's time for the goodbyes. Uh, Moses, any final thoughts from you this week? Yeah, no, nothing too much. Everybody stay cool out there. If that means staying inside and playing some video games, I mean, you know that we support this activity. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. Thanks uh, very much to everyone out there for listening to this week's episode of Paul and Moses Play. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, you can email us at paulandmosesplay at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. And until then, 
never, never stop, stop playing. playing.